0: From Local 12 Sports, it's the Skinny Podcast. Now, here's Richard Skinner.
1: Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly potpourri edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com, digital sports columnist and editor with Rick Boring each and every week. We look at sports topics of local interest. We occasionally have a national topic we got a gambling segment that's continuing to roll along, the segment of the podcast where you can ask me a question on any topic. Go to the X-verse, hit the hashtag Ask any Anything, Rick compiles them. and you ask him, I answer them. It does not have to be a sports question, a reminder of that. And as always, this podcast is presented in part by Blake, the attorney mazelin. Rick, we got a lot to get to. Bengals got back in the playoff hunt, uh, Reds with a signing. We've got uh, a lot of college basketball to discuss. Uh, if, we, if we lived in Louisville at the moment, um, we'd have a disastrous college basketball to discuss, but we don't. So we've got uh, other issues to discuss uh, along the way, especially coming out of the Crosstown shootout. So we got a lot to get to. And I'll let you get to it.
0: Yeah, you pretty much nailed all our topics coming up right there. So we'll start with the Bengals. They win again 34-14 over the Colts. Jake Browning was great once again. He threw for 275 yards, two touchdowns, had one interception on 18 of 24 passing, also rushed for a touchdown. Chase Brown got 11 touches, eight carries, three receptions. He delivered with 105 all-purpose yards and a TD. The Bengals are now seven and six, along with six other teams in the AFC. Skinny, how real are the Bengals' playoff chances right now?
1: Very real. Um, You know, uh, do I think they can win out and go 11 and six? That's probably a big ask, but obviously you go 11 and six, you know, the, the, all these six lost teams are going to drop by the wayside for sure. So that definitely gets you in. I, I, I've thought all along 10 and seven gets you in. So that's a, a three and one finish. And, you know, you've got uh, obviously a winnable game at home because it is at home against Minnesota starting their fourth quarterback of the season, Nick Mullins. You know, Pittsburgh is a mess at the quarterback position and maybe overall at the moment. Kansas City is a really train wreck at the moment. Uh, again, I, I'm not sure I, I I can consider that a winnable game to go out to Arrowhead, but they are a mess at the moment. And then you get Cleveland on. Who knows who if it's Joe Flacco or their 18th quarterback of the season when they come to town for the for the for the finale. And again, that one's at home. So yeah, you you put yourself in a position like they have the last couple of years to continue to make a, a December January run. And they've been really good in December and January in the regular season, ten and three in the last three seasons. And really, they've won ten of their last eleven, and the only loss in that 10 of the last 11 is that 2021 regular season finale at Cleveland when they didn't play any of their starters other than Mark Chase trying to trying to get him a a rookie record.
0: It's incredible because, and we were talking about this earlier in the year before Burrow got hurt, how similar this year felt to last season and the way it was going slow start start to get it going. And then like, okay, well you're going to need to make a run here at the end of the season. And then Joe Burrow gets down. You're like, okay, we're done with that narrative. But lo and behold, we're right back in it. Skinny, this feels so similar to last season in terms of this team turning it on, clicking and playing its best football down the stretch here and and giving you hope that maybe they can go on an improbable run. The playoff simulator from the New York Times currently gives the Bengals a 25% chance to make the postseason. DraftKings has the Bengals at plus 300 odds to make the playoffs or 3 to 1. Uh, Skinny, would you like those odds? I mean, 3 to 1. Are you are you interested in taking those?
1: Yeah, I I could, I could, I could take those odds. Those seem about fair and about right. Um, Maybe even a little um, inflated to some degree, because again, I do think it's it's very feasible for this team to go three and one down the stretch without having. That's the thing, without having to do anything special. And I know it would be beating what is an NFC playoff team at the moment in Minnesota, but again, they're on their fourth quarterback, Um, and they just came off a game in which they scored three points and somehow found a way to win. God love them for that. Uh, You know, Pittsburgh. You know. I would love to play that game at home over again, but you can't, but you know, the Jake Browning you've seen in the last couple of weeks, and even the Jake Browning that game wasn't awful. He he did some really good things in that game, just unfortunately through an interception that, that you like to have back and then Cleveland at home. I mean, those are all to me. And again, I'm going to skip over Kansas city because I still think it's a big ask to go there, especially when they're, they're looking to write the ship and can certainly do so, but they're a mess at the moment. There's no question about it. So, at three and one seems feasible to me down the stretch. Again, you don't have to do anything spectacular. Like go beat some twelve and one team that looks unbeatable. Go back to San Francisco and beat them now with a healthy Debo Samuel and a healthy uh, Trent Williams. Um, you beat them when they didn't have those guys and played very well in doing so. But you're not having to do anything special. You just kind of got to take care of the business that you should be able to take care of.
0: Yeah, and that's that's the interesting thing when you start plugging in results in the New York Times simulator. There, three and one with a loss to the Chiefs put the Bengals at a 78% chance to make the playoffs at that point. Obviously, you don't know exactly what's going to happen with all these other teams, but you would feel really good if they were to go three and one down the stretch with that only loss being to the Chiefs. I'm not saying that's the – I mean, it feels pretty unlikely if they go two and two that they're getting into the playoffs, but if they go three and one, you feel like the chances are really good, and like you said – I. I mean, that feels pretty feasible given the road that they have ahead and given what Jake Browning in this offense has shown us. Before we move on to talk more about the game and the Bengals and how they're playing, is this an outlier year? I mean, I I don't want to be the guy who every year we do this with the NCAA tournament, right? We go, oh, the bubble's so bad this year. Oh, the bubble's the worst it's ever been. Is this an outlier year in terms of how bunched up all these teams are in the AFC playoff race?
1: I don't think so because of this reason, Um, you know, the the Jets are going to be probably into this mix next year, depending on, you know, did did the Achilles injury take something out of Aaron Rodgers? But you look at some of these teams that are in the playoff hunt at the moment. And and while the Browns have issues at quarterback, you know, they still get a chance to get Deshaun Watson back next year. Um, Maybe, maybe the Steelers a little bit, but we know what they, they somehow always find ways to win games, but their quarterback situation is a mess. But Houston has a legit quarterback. Jacksonville has a legit quarterback. Um, the Colts think they do, and Anthony Richardson, we didn't see enough of him. Uh, uh you know, Russell Wilson has won a Super Bowl. Um, and, and again, it looked like his career has been resurrected by Sean Payton. You know, maybe in a year older, it doesn't work out for him. Um, obviously, Kansas City and Mahomes and 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 Tua and the Bengals with with uh, with Burrow and Browning as a as a capable backup. And I think what it is is you see the stacked quarterbacks in the AFC, Baltimore and, and Lamar Jackson. You see. These teams aren't going away because they're so stacked with quarterback play at the moment.
0: Yeah, I just, I can't remember. I mean, again, I know it's always this time of year, there's people jostling for position and there's people, or teams that are close together in the in the playoff seating projections. But I can't remember a year where you had like seven teams all with the same record. And yeah. half of them are pretty good teams, Crazy. you would say. And the, the other teams maybe are, are fighting to hang around a little bit. But it's just, it's pretty incredible to look at. Now, skinny Jake Browning has been great. I mean, for the last two weeks, he has really been impressive. One of the th- topics that keeps coming up that I, I'm hearing is – what does this mean for next year with Jake Browning? It, wh- which team is going to pay him a ton of money to take him away from the Bengals? And the reality is that's not Nobody. really an option. Yeah, I mean, he's a restricted free agent. So how do you think this is going to play out in terms of Jake Browning's next year? Because a lot of people are talking about this. I've heard it on multiple podcasts, multiple radio shows. Uh, fans are tweeting about it a lot. And, and in reality, I don't think there's a ton of options for him other than maybe the Bengals would trade him, right?
1: Right. The- There aren't. Um, uh, They can sign him back for what would be the veteran minimum. Um, I don't know where that would go, maybe towards $900,000. And maybe they give him a little bit more. They're not obligated to by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Then he reverts to a restricted free agent the year after that, which then the Bengals can get some compensation back if they decide to match or, or, or match an offer. So, you know, for them, uh, they've got, unfortunately for Jake Brown, he's a little bit between a rock and a hard place. Now they've done a nice job of taking care of him. Remember last year, they brought him up a couple of times to give him game checks. And um, one of those was the AFC championship game because they wanted him around and, and he looked elsewhere, but kind of felt, Hey, that was nice. And I like it here. I'm in a system that, that I'm, I'm understanding and I don't want to go learn another system. And it's, it's paid off for him, but really he's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. The good news would be is if this plays out to where they make the playoffs, You feel really good that you obviously have a very capable backup on your hands. I think that's all anybody's ever wanted, right? I mean, that was the whole, why didn't they go out and spend money on a backup? Well, maybe they knew what they had all along. I don't know if they did. I I will say, talking to Brian Callahan yesterday, um, I wish I had the quote in front of me, and I wish I could have said the way Brian did, and and he didn't mean any disrespect by it, but he said, maybe it turns out this guy's a pretty good player. (laughs) Because I don't think they even knew, to be quite frank. There's no
0: way anyone could have known he could do this. And it's just two games. Maybe right. the the scouting report will be out on him next. Teams will figure out what the Bengals have adjusted with him in there. And and they'll take all of this away. And, and we'll be talking next week about, okay, this is
1: what and, a and backup quarterback you, looks the, like. The, yeah, and the Vikings defense presents its own challenges. Because they they blitz more than any team in the NFL. And they drop eight into coverage more than any team in the NFL. So it's a very hard defense to kind of gauge and read pre-snap. You got to kind of do that on the fly post-snap. So we'll see how he handles that. So this will be a big challenge for him. I I don't expect big numbers, but I think it's a game where, we'll talk about that a little bit more, where you need to lean on the defense a little bit more and they need to come through kind of like they did against the Colts.
0: Yeah. I keep the word I keep seeing it used is confusing. They, they have a tendency to confuse quarterbacks and that's not what you want to hear with a guy who's light on experience and, and filling in for your starter. But Skinny, with in terms of his situation for next year, do you think that if you're the Bengals, is that what you're doing? Just no doubt you're bringing this Absolutely. guy back and making him your backup. You're not looking to, to potentially sign him and then trade him to get some value out of there after his great performance here to end the season? No,
1: no, no. I, I think it's hard enough to find a capable backup. I mean, everybody was. Also, this kind of money. um, you, you, you have to you have to keep money roster. Yeah, Uh, skinny. So
0: looking at what the Bengals have done to improve the offense or still find this success under Jake Browning, I'm not telling you anything new here. It's something that's been a storyline for the last two seasons. Now all of a sudden we're seeing the Bengals use these things that we've talked about so much way. I mean, no empty sets, really not less empty sets, but just no empty sets a lot more under center. It seemed like almost every drop back that Jake Browning had, where he was looking to throw in the Colts game, there was a play action involved. It seemed like every time he was faking a handoff one way or the other, and then either bootlegging or just dropping back and then throwing it. Um, it, The offense honestly looks better right now, better than it did with Joe Burrow operating. And that's not to say Jake Browning is better than Joe Joe Burrow, but the game plan, the, the fluidity, just the cohesiveness of everything seems like it's working much better together. Is there any chance that this stretch with Joe Burrow sitting out watching this is eye opening for him? And he looks at it and says, you know what? Maybe I've been a little bit too hard headed about this uh, playing empty all the time, being in the shotgun all the time, spreading everything out and being able to see it. Maybe it is beneficial to be a little bit more balanced, to have a little bit more variety to our looks.
1: I wouldn't hope so. And and it's funny a lot of us on the beat had that discussion yesterday of of maybe this is eye opening to Joe Burrow of uh, getting under center a little bit more. I know he does not like to turn his back to a defense. I understand that he likes to see it presented. He doesn't like a lot of motions. He likes to see things as they are and be able to read off of that. And I wouldn't take all of that away from him. Again, uh, you know, as as Zach Taylor said on whatever day that was, Tuesday or Wednesday, I still think he's, you know, the greatest player to to walk the earth, the greatest football player to walk the face of the earth. Um, And so they did tailor a lot of this for Joe Burrow, and understandably so, and have had good success with it. But I do think at times this year, some of it was calf related, some of it was. They couldn't run the ball. Well, now the running game's gotten going a little bit more because they're under center and offensive linemen have talked about what it's like to block under set with, with the quarterback under center where you're firing out as opposed to catching in some of those RPOs. You don't know, you know, are you firing out or you're really just kind of catching a guy as opposed to, to knocking him off. So I, I think those changes have helped. Um, and if I'm Joe Burrow, I'm sitting back going, yeah, you know what? Maybe we do need to use some more of this, you know, for him, you know, as athletic as he is, I think the bootleg could be a great weapon for him uh, as as well. And, and you know, having face less pressure. I mean, how many times do you see quarterbacks get lit up on bootlegs? They really don't. I mean, if they don't have a receiver open, they just keep rolling and rolling and rolling and then roll for four or five yards out of bounds and don't get hit. You have less guys at your legs in the pocket. Um, so, you know, maybe he sees that and says, all right, yeah, I... I I know what I like, but I I think I can handle this part of the offense, and I think he can. And I I do think you'll see some more of this next year with Joe Burrow back.
0: I don't want to get down a wormhole here on bootlegs, but I do think with Joe Burrow, we always talk about the best thing he does when he's at his absolute best is during a broken play where things have kind of broken down. It's a little bit of a scramble, and he's just making something out of nothing that's almost like what a bootleg is. You're like forcing a broken play on the defense sort of and, and moving the pocket everything. To me, that just seems like a no-brainer for him, but uh, obviously he and uh, Zach Taylor can figure that out. Um, Skinny, the one other question I had about all these changes is we've talked so much about the offensive line and their struggles, and you mentioned the running game has all of a sudden been better since they started going under center more, using more play action, being a, a little bit more varied. I, is the offensive line been bad for the last season plus, or have they been playing in an impossible system?
1: you've been playing in a really tough system where um, a, you're dropping back 40 plus times a game. And I don't care how good you think your offensive line is or how good it is. They're going to give up a hit here and there and a sack here and there. And some of the sacks, you know, they all go against them, but sometimes the sacks are on the quarterback that he holds it too long. And some of those Joe's willing to take on a first and 10, um, you know, or rather a third and, and eight, rather he's willing to take a sack and, and take an extra second. And that's okay. I listen, if, if, if you're going to wait an extra second and maybe make that completion for a first down a few more times and, and, and the carryover, the, the other result is a sack, that's fine. But, you know, that's where everybody, that's where the offensive line gets dinged for that. Well, it wasn't really them. He held the ball too long and understandably looking for a receiver. So, yeah, I, I, I do think it's been tough for them and what they've been asked to do, but I also think they've done a pretty good job overall. I think in the run game, again, some teams – They just don't run well out of the gun. I don't think this team did with this offensive line. I think you're seeing it with them under center more.
0: All right, Skinny, let me ask the stupid fan thing that's going to drive you crazy here. You mean to tell me that the Bengals have had one of the fastest players in the NFL sitting on the bench all year, and I kept watching Joe Mixon try to turn the corner for one yard?
1: All right, so here's the answer to that, and I understand it. Listen, early in the year, um, he had not earned their trust yet, uh, and I get it. He's a rookie coming into the league. His head still swimming from training camp. They were getting him ramped up to play in the San Francisco game. In fact, I think we all wrote about that was the week Chase Brown was going to finally get his chance, and lo and behold, in either the second practice of the week or third practice, he suffers a hamstring injury. Then he goes on IR for four weeks. So let's not forget he's gone for four weeks. Comes back and practices. They they had some plays for him in the Steelers game. But again, he'd only been back to practice for a week. Um, and so not quite ready to to get him in there. And the way that game played out, they couldn't get get to the plays they wanted for him. And I know that sounds silly, but they just didn't. And then lo and behold, they did have a plan for him in Jacksonville. And had a plan for him here. And so I, I think that this mid-game is don't. let's not forget that the guy was gone for four weeks on IR. So they didn't forget about him for those four weeks. He was gone.
0: Right. that's fine. He's also a freaking running back, right? Like this isn't the quarterback where you're going to have to be making him. He's got to get back there and make a bunch of decisions. And he might turn the ball over for you by throwing a silly interception or something. If, if you slip up and let him play for this possession, you can throw him in there. Give him one screen pass. Give him a pitch out. Let him get to the outside and try to make bust one and make a big play. And no, no harm's really going to be done. It's not any different than Joe Mixon getting a one-yard carry to the outside when that clearly wasn't working all year. So the only thing I would say, and I think all coaches are like this across all sports. It's not just a football thing. It's not just a Zach Taylor thing. It's not just an NFL head coach's thing. Coaches are way too precious with this stuff about trust and doesn't know the system and all that stuff. If you have a great athlete and a best athlete on the field that may be capable of making big plays, please use him occasionally. Like the fact that we haven't seen this guy at all this year is silly skinny. Let's be honest. And they knew it. They knew it because they've been talking like it too. They're like, we knew he was fast. We didn't know he was that fast. It's like, what are you doing out here? Come that guy. You see him run like that on an NFL field. You have to know that's a guy you got to put on the field occasionally and give him a chance or two
1: again i i am going to defer to again early in the year again it is a matter of trust uh, you know how do we know in practice he wasn't going the wrong way half the time and you go wrong way one time trying to pass block for joe Burrow and getting blown up you kick yourself in the teeth if you're a coach they you, were getting him they were getting him ramped up for frisco he was going to play in san francisco without a doubt in my mind and then he got hurt
0: yeah, but that okay. But last week against the Jags, they said they couldn't get to plays for him, and they had him in there. That makes absolutely no, no sense. When you had or the Steelers game, yeah, and they, they the couldn't get to him. It, it's come on. I mean, you had plenty of carries for Joe Mixon in that game, plenty of opportunities to get Joe Mixon the ball in that game. So there's no difference between yeah. subbing him in there. Yeah, you don't definitely. have to have him for pa- you don't have to have him in there for pass blocking downs to where he's going to get Joe Burrow blown up. You can give him the ball one time to see what happens and see if his yeah. athleticism can pop one.
1: To that point, though, Rick, and and it was was a great tendency breaker for them, in my opinion, that screen pass. Because in the Jacksonville game, he was in for 11 snaps and ran it on nine of those 11 snaps. So the tendency would be, this cat's in, he's getting the ball. And to their credit, they broke that tendency by play-actioning to him, then getting him out in the flat for a screen pass. So, yeah, but to to, to that point, again, if you have him in, you don't want to just have him in to run it. He's going to have to be in on some pass-downs. And, again, if you don't trust that kid whatsoever to pass block, I get it. I fully understand it.
0: Yeah, well, I get it to an extent. I think they're overly precious with those things, and all coaches are. It's the same way with like basketball coaches and their defenses and everything else. Everyone's like so scared to change anything up because they think the thing that they devise and their game plan and the thing that they practice is so perfect, they can't possibly give away one single play, and it's like, well, in reality, you're going nowhere with most of those plays. You spent how many possessions going three and out going absolutely nowhere with the football? I think you could have found a way to get them on the field once or twice a little bit sooner but that's just my opinion it's not, it's not the biggest deal in the in the world I'm just saying watching him run with the football down the field down the sideline on that touchdown no, no. and watching the way that guy moves on some screen passes it's like you could have used him at some point there's no question about that he has some athleticism that you it, don't it otherwise is, have
1: it is funny and, and they've talked about because they've got these little meters of, of it shows how many steps guys have run it, 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 it's kind of more of a, a, a maintenance thing that they use them for but it does track how fast they run and all those things but it's funny I mean he was this is gonna sound silly he was clocked at only 448 in the 40 at the combine which is not elite speed it's almost like he's one of those guys that when the game speed comes he's got that and maybe they didn't know even though they said they thought he, they knew he was fast maybe they didn't realize that fast and and once he got in the open field in game speed mode and adrenaline mode he showed I got a different gear man
0: that's the old Deion Sanders line right I'm I'm next man fast. You put the next man on the field and I'm faster than he is. It doesn't matter what the 40 time says. And I I think that's true for some guys Um, uh, just kind of wrapping up some thoughts from this game. And as we move into the Vikings game skinny, Trey Hendrickson was awesome. Once again, he's up to 13 and a half sacks now on the year, which is third in the NFL. I know this has been talked about enough, but what an unbelievable free agency signing that was back in 2021. Like this guy has worked out tremendously well for the Bengals.
1: And the funny part to me is it's the consistency of performance. It's not piling up seven sacks like Khalil Mack did in a game. And, and then he has three games without something or a pressure. It feels like every game he is affecting the quarterback or even the pass blocking scheme. At the very least, he's affecting the pass blocking scheme of the other team. And and that that's that's as invaluable as him getting to the quarterback because then it creates stuff for other guys if they try to take him out of the mix. And even even then, um, you know, he still finds a way. I, I love what Luis Rumo said to, to us uh whatever day, Wednesday, we talked to him. And a question was asked about Trey's variety of moves, bull rush, speed, all those things to get there. And he said, yeah, he goes, he goes the very first play, I told him, you know, if they pass, I want you to, I want to see you bull rush. Because he goes, I, he was asked, do you ever tell him not to do a certain move or, or to do a certain move? And he said, no. He said, but the other day, he goes, I, I wanted to see how the tackle handled him. And, and I remember that first snap. He said, that first snap, he took that kid and took him all the way back to the quarterback. And you think how strong you have to be to do that. I mean, you're talking about a left tackle in the NFL that you literally just took all the way back to the quarterback. And at that point, that poor kid's probably going, how am I going to block this today? And he really didn't.
0: That's just demoralizing. That's one of those like tone setting moments where it's like, oh, I have no chance. This guy (laughs) just first play just drove me back five yards directly into my quarterback. I am screwed for the rest of the day. Yeah, I just in this city, we have such a tendency to harp on and remember the big free agency signings. And. Reds, Bengals, whoever that don't work out and that were a waste right. of money, and that's one where it's like, yeah, they spent a lot of money, and there were some some questions at the time about was this a guy who was on a contract year who just played out of his mind and was going to fall off after the Bengals gave him a a big contract, and it hasn't been that at all. He has just been absolutely awesome since day one when he got here.
1: And you let Carl and you let Carl Lawson walk, and he had all those pressures. And I'm sorry for Carl that he got hurt because it does suck because he's a that good kid. Suck. But yeah. um, you and I talked about. it. I mean, great. He got he got around the quarterback a lot and it counted as a pressure. And he never finished finished those off. And again, I'm sorry he got hurt because maybe he would have, maybe he would had great success in New York. I don't know the answer to that.
0: All right, finally, skinny. This Vikings game coming up. You mentioned the Vikings quarterback situation. There is a little bit of concern on the Bengals' side all of a sudden because Jamar Chase did pop up on the injury report this week. Tuesday, uh, he had an ankle injury, it seems, and then he was limited in practice on Wednesday, according to the practice report. Is there any legitimate concern there from your perspective?
1: No, nah, the Tuesday one, too, just for, for everybody's thinking, Tuesday was a walk-through practice. It's a wacky week because of the short week. They had Monday off um, instead of the Tuesday. So Tuesday was a practice day It was a walkthrough. And that, that was called, that's an estimated report because they technically don't practice. So you really, if it had been a real practice, would he have gone, but they estimated he wouldn't have. And so that's why he was there. And then the limited thing I think was a good step forward. Um, today is a walkthrough. I would assume he'll be at, again, at worst limited. If not, I'd, I'd say he's full. I don't even know if he'll get a questionable designation on the injury report. It'll come out later today. Um, Cause again, this is normally the Friday of the week of the regular week. Um, so yeah, and why we take this podcast, I don't know the answer to that I, he says he's going to play. I, I believe him. I believe he will play. And, and, um, you know, I don't even think he'll be hampered to be honest with you.
0: Anything else, uh, to hit on leading into the Vikings game? Obviously we'll talk about the, uh, the predictions for that game with the Bengals being a three point favorite in our betting segment, but do you have any other points to get to from this week?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The one thing to monitor here and, and I'm not going to get a chance to write it this week. It'll probably come after, after this week and maybe the kid has a great game, but, but. If if Brad Robbins struggles again punting the football on Saturday, I I could see them leaning another direction or at least bringing somebody in to take a look at. And right or wrong, the punt God Matarese has now been completely exonerated of all those charges that got him cut from the Bills when a woman claimed he was part of a gang rape. And again, he was just been cleared of all of that. So you know um, he's out there and available. And there's no question he was going to be the Bills punter as a rookie. And he's got obviously this crazy great leg. Um, you know, do they look in that direction, perhaps?
0: Also, uh, Drew Christman is making TikToks punting from Elder High School at the pit. So if you need him, he's in town. I did see that yesterday.
1: <laughs> he is in town. He's uh. in the press box every Sunday for home games as a an analyst for Spectrum 1 Sports.
0: Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I mean, honestly, seems like a nice guy, but these social media videos are... Sort of depressing to watch. I hate to say that. Good for him that he's being good-spirited about it and going on with his life, but it's kind of hard to watch him stroll into the pit and punt some balls on a high school field.
1: Listen, I will say this about him. While, again, the the, the last punt in Kansas City is the one we're always going to remember, and it was horrifyingly bad down the middle, dude does have a big leg. And if he can straighten out some of the directional stuff, I'd kick the tires on it. He was not terrible. I mean, he was certainly better than what Brad Robbins has been. Brad Robbins has
0: struggled badly, badly, really badly. All right, let's get into some Reds talk here because it's the offseason, season, but we've got some action going on here. Skinny the Bang or the Bengals, the Reds have signed infielder Jamer Candelario to a three-year, forty-five million dollar contract with a club option for twenty twenty-seven on Monday. That option is for fifteen million dollars a year as well. The switch hitting Candelario batted two fifty-one with a career best. OPS, and also set personal highs with 22 homers and 70 RBIs over 140 games for the Nationals and Cubs last season. His 39 doubles were tied for sixth most in the MLB. Uh, Obviously, the Reds have made a few other moves, Candelario being the biggest of those. Skinny, what do you make of the Reds adding another infielder to the mix, given we spent so much time at the end of last year talking about the log jam in the infield?
1: I think they're just looking to add the best players they possibly can for the right price, and and he seems to fit that bill um, and position versatility. I think that's what you're seeing from this team. You know, Spencer Steer is going to find himself more in the outfield. Uh, Nick Kroll said uh, the day that they signed Candelario, he told reporters that they're going to use Jonathan India not only at first base, but they're going to try him in the outfield, and that gives you some flexibility there. I I think when push comes to shove, it wouldn't shock me at some point in spring training, and this is just my opinion. This has not been talked about nor reported, I wouldn't be shocked to see Ellie De la Cruz play some outfield at some point. I mean, uh, you know, again, position versatility to me, I think, is a huge, huge thing in baseball today where it gives you a chance to get your best right-handed bats on the field against, you know, lefties and get your best left-handed bats on the field against uh, against tough righties. And, and to me, I think that's important, and they certainly have that. I mean, Candelario can play, uh, you know, a couple spots in the infield. Matt McClain can play second and short. Well, then Marte can play third and short. Ellie's played third and short, and now I've talked about outfield. You know, Jonathan India going to move to the outfield more, um, play some first base, and in, in, in a pinch, if it's not he's, he's not great, but he's obviously been a starting second baseman for numerous years. I think position versatility is a big, big deal.
0: Yeah, when you look at it, I mean, you got Christian Encarnacion, Strand, Spencer Steer, Jonathan India, Matt McLean, Ellie De La Cruz, Noel V Marte, and now Jamer Candelario. You got seven guys right there, and I think we're talking about with those seven guys four infield spots, a DH spot is likely a to DH. come from those names. Yep. And then can you you can definitely move one of them to the outfield at least. Do you Are you comfortable with moving two of them to the outfield? I mean, at that, at that point, you're taking away Jake Fraley. I, How do you feel but, about that?
1: But Jake Fraley against the left, I'm, we're talking about putting two right-handed bats potentially out there where Jake Fraley against the lefty probably wouldn't be in the lineup. TJ Friedel against the tough lefty may not be in the lineup. But again, I I, I like that versatility.
0: Yeah, I mean, Will Benson, Jake Fraley, TJ Friedel, all of those guys were pretty impressive last year. I would also say it would not be a huge shock to me if one of, if not multiple of those guys, had a backslide this year and wasn't quite as good as maybe they played last year. So I'm not necessarily sold on any of those three guys just yet. So I'm fine with them potentially moving one of these talented infielders to the outfield. The other thing that people have talked a lot about, Skinny, is that potentially this is a precursor to another move. Maybe they're packaging India and a prospect or potentially even one of these other guys that are maybe a little more highly thought of and have a little bit more value. Is that your expectation right now? Do you potentially see another move coming?
1: I think it's an option on the table and it's giving you the ability to to deal from a position of strength where if, if, you, if the deal's right, you've got the depth to go ahead and make that deal. If the deal's not right, well, we've got a plan in place for what we're going to do with all these guys. So I think it gives you also the leverage to not have to jump into a deal, but make one from a position of strength. And I think that's always important because we see so many moves and trades that are made out of sheer desperation.
0: So it seems like you're all, all on board with this. It doesn't seem like you have any reservations really at all about adding Jamer Candelario.
1: No, I, I, I saw, I saw a tweet from, from somebody this week that that said, and this person's in the media, but not in, in sports media per se, but said, so they can spend this money on Candelario and they don't have money for Joey Votto. No, they didn't. He can't play anymore. I'm sorry for that. I, it sucks, but that's just life.
0: Yeah, I guess that's the other thing is it really kind of slams the door shut on any possibility of Votto coming back, right? I mean, there is still yeah. that potential out right. there maybe, and now it seems like, I mean, there's just no room at all for another infielder.
1: Do you care about sentimentality? Do you care about winning? I mean, maybe maybe you do. If you are if you care about the sentimentality, I know you want Votto back. If you care about winning, no offense, he doesn't help you win any longer.
0: At all. I am completely on board with that. I, I agree totally. It, it's great. He's had a great career. Love it. You know, I, I understand some people his jersey. Right. I know some people wish there was more of a send off or whatever at the end of last year if they knew he was going to be leaving. But at the end of the day. Put the best roster on the field because this is the time. You have the talent finally. You you should be in contention this year. Make sure this team is as good as possible. And if nothing else, the one thing this Jamer Candelario deal signals to me, and I don't know how good he's going to be, how much of an upgrade he could be any, over any of these other guys, but the one thing it says to me is if you're willing to spend $15 million to get another infielder just to essentially create some depth, you're all in. I mean, you, you feel like you have a good team and you're real willing to spend some money on what, you know, is in my opinion, not a game changing player, but is a nice depth piece that probably makes you better, makes you more versatile in terms of your lineup. I like the signing. I'm not overwhelmed by it, but I do like what it signals to me from the reds front office.
1: Yeah. And, and lastly, again, from the log jam perspective and everybody losing their minds, it, it and I hate to be this guy. It, it always does seem to work itself out. I mean, None of these guys are going to play 162 games apiece. They're just not. It's just not life in in, in sports any longer. So you do need to have that depth. And and to their credit, they have built that with guys. It's not just their a, a depth at a position. It's guys with multi positional depth. And I, I just think that's invaluable.
0: Yeah, Andy's a switch hitter. We know how much David Bell loves playing the ref, lefty righty matchups. Well, this guy you don't have yes. to worry about that as much. He hits well from both sides of the plate. You can kind of slide them in in there against either. Pitcher. So it doesn't really matter. All right, let's move on to the college basketball side of things. Skinny. A federal judge in West Virginia issued a 14 day temporary restraining order Wednesday against the NCAA, allowing two time transfers to play immediately, at least for now. What this all means is that any of those guys that have been sitting out here to start the year because they're a second time transfer that was waiting for a waiver or waiting for an appeal or whatever from the NCAA, they are eligible. To play right away you can we saw guys play last night after it was ruled and they're uh, it's all good they're not going to be penalized for that the only question comes in for certain guys is are you potentially using a year of eligibility by participating in a game or two or three or whatever over the next week or two so uh there are still some things to be worked out i think all the schools are trying to sort this out talk to their lawyers make sure they have a full grasp on what this means but this, of course, has an impact on Cincinnati's roster as Jameel Reynolds, the temple transfer, who is still waiting to get his case overturned by the NCAA, would be eligible if he decides to go ahead and play. Um, Skinny, what do you make of these second-time transfers being ruled eligible, at least for right now?
1: I mean, it was always gonna have to come to litigation. I mean, that was the threat of it for Bandiego to get eligible. And and you know, this became more than just individual guys going ahead and and going through the litigation. It it became, it went to the attorney general's offices of several States trying to push for this. And this finally got passed. My guess would be Rick, even though, you know, initially this is a two week period, I I would guess this gets extended, right? I I can't imagine that that somewhere it comes back in two weeks and they go, no, sorry, you're out. I do think it was important for the ruling of if these guys play in whatever games you mentioned, it it could be two games for some teams, maybe four, whatever it's going to be over the next two weeks, that, You know, you won't be docked wins if they suddenly then become ineligible again because they're technically eligible in this period. So I I thought that was important as well. Obviously, these guys have been practicing. So, you know, for the most part, they can hit the ground running with the with the teams they are on. Um, And and listen, it it sucks that it's taken to late December or I guess mid-December for this to, to be ruled upon. But I can't imagine they go back on this in two weeks. Do you?
0: No, I, I think you're exactly right. If I'm a team, I'm playing. The The one thing that has been proven sure. right now is that you should not listen to any NCAA rules that have been set out. Anything that you're potentially worried about that the NCAA has set up in terms of guardrails yeah. or the, just go blow yeah. right through them. Don't ignore them. Do whatever you want. Do whatever gives you the best chance of winning and then cry about it fight about it and threaten with litigation afterwards because you'll win. The NCAA has said, look, we'll, we'll approve your rules that you want us to approve. You guys decide the rules, presidents, ADs, whoever. We'll, we'll say yes. We'll try to enforce them initially. But if any legal ramifications come from this, we're out. We're not fighting any more lawsuits because we lose them all.
1: Yeah, right. But And that's the thing. you know. I, I think people always forget. People think the NCAA is a separate entity, and it really is. It's member schools make up the NCAA. And so – you know, it's it, it's a lot of times funny that, that uh, you know, they're the ones that want these rules on the plate. And then the first time it affects their team in a negative effect. Well, you know what? We're going to sue you. We're sorry. We're going to sue. And so what is the point of the rules? What What really yes. is the point of any of them?
0: Is it disgusting by the coaches and the athletic programs who can't help themselves, who say, yeah, like, we know this rule exists, but – Screw it. It doesn't apply to us. We're just going to do it and then complain about it after the fact, even though everyone agreed to put these rules in place. Yeah, it's pretty sickening and and despicable and tells you all you need to know about who these people are. But at the same time, there's millions of dollars on the line. I mean, if I'm a coach who's got the chance to make five million dollars and I just have to be a little more savvy than you by understanding that the NCAA is going to fold if we threaten them with litigation. I don't think that's a bad move like credit West Miller for picking up really? two guys that are going to make his team better that he thought at some point he would be able to get approved by these means and uh, it's worked out for him. So I think I, I think it's it sucks it's for college athletics and what it means going forward, but I don't blame the people who are doing it either.
1: Yeah, and, and and truth be told, I think for him it would be as long as he could get him up and going for you know a week or two before they get into Big Twelve play to at least ramp them up a little bit. And it looks like that's going to be the case. So if obviously Aziz has been around for a couple of weeks now playing games, and, and Jamil Reynolds could conceivably hit the ground running on on Saturday against Dayton.
0: Yeah, and it, I do think Jamil Reynolds could make a difference for this UC team. I also think it is funny that you know we went from. Assis Bandago is going to be the greatest big man in the country if he gets eligible for UC. That's the only missing piece to, well, now actually the guy we were missing was Jameel Reynolds. Uh, Asis wasn't the guy we actually needed because he, he wasn't the missing link. Jameel Reynolds is the missing link. We needed the bigger, more physical big man. It's like, well, I, I'm not so sure that that's the case either. Let's uh, pump the brakes on that a little bit. But I do think he helps. I mean, giving them a more physical post presence and more of an offensive minded piece in the front court, I think is something that that they could definitely use.
1: Yeah. I mean, Aziz has proven his worth as a rebounder, but he just doesn't have a lot of offensive game to him. And, and, you know, that's fine. It gives you, it gives you a body to rebound and block shots. And I thought that's what he was all along. I know I've gotten beaten up for, for not thinking he was all this in a in a cup of coffee or whatever. Um, again, I don't think he's an unserviceable piece. I just don't think he's a difference maker piece. I don't know if Jamil Reynolds is a difference maker piece, especially when you get in big 12 play. Does he help their team? Yeah, sure. He helps their team.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think with, Aziz, you've seen he has made a big impact on the glass, and he has changed them defensively. He's certainly better than having to play Odio Guama. There is no question about that. Nope. I mean, he has made their team better. It's just not the quite the impact I think on the offensive end that maybe some people thought he would have. So we'll see and, what and, Jameel right. Reynolds brings.
1: And that's why I go. I mean, how many elite big men have you as you see played so far?
0: Uh, I would say None. zero. Yeah skinny uh, speaking of which, the Crosstown shootout, Xavier won its fifth straight against the Bearcats, 84-79 the final score there on Saturday. The Bearcats haven't won at the Cintas Center since 2001. Now, you've been critical of both of these teams, and that's already been proven on the Xavier side of things. You've been proven correct. They lost at home to Delaware. They lost at home to Oakland. They lost three straight games at the Cintas Center, which almost never happens to Xavier. What was your takeaway from this game, especially from a UC side of things, seeing them lose to that Xavier team?
1: Um, a jizzle James was really good. That, that part was good. But, but when push came to shove, who was going to get them a big basket? And we still don't know that as we sit here today of in a crunch time game, which they hadn't had any of those other than Howard, and that shouldn't have been a crunch time game. Who's going to get them a big basket? And, you know, you thought it was Dan Skillings, and, and maybe that was just a one off for him having a bad night. Um, that's you know, concerning. Coaches coming back from the car accident. So I can give him a little bit of a pass for Lacocious because of the car accident. I don't ever think he was a difference maker, either the guy you were going to go to. So who is that guy? I mean, maybe it's going to be Jizzle as the season unfolds, but that's, that's a big ask for a true freshman, in my opinion, especially with what you're, you're going to face from, from guard play in the big 12, you know, who is that guy? And so that's where I go back to, you know, it's, it's a worse loss for UC than it is a good win for Xavier, if that makes any sense. Cause that, that was, this was your real true test in the non-conference and you didn't pass it. Um, and now just to have something non-conference on your resume, you have to beat Dayton, and I don't think that's going to be easy either.
0: Yeah, in terms of the scorer thing, I really thought it had to be Dan Skillings coming into the year. I was a little surprised when he wasn't starting to begin the year, and then he played really well in a lot of those opening games, and I thought, okay, maybe he is going to round into that type of player for them, but the way he showed up in this Crosstown shootout game would be very concerning to me if I'm a Cincinnati fan. And then you do go back to that question of, okay, who's the who's the go to scorer? Who's the guy who can put up 15 or 20 in a big game? And I'm not sure if they have a good answer to that question right now. I, I think overall, you know, if if you're a, someone who's looking at this one loss and saying UC's terrible, see that's obviously they weren't as good as everyone said. They're they're not that good you're way you're being way too over the top and, and being way too aggressive with one result. At the same time, if you're someone who is like, this one loss to Xavier doesn't mean anything, they're eight and0 otherwise, and look, they bounce back and beat Bryant by 30 points the, ne- the next game, you're also kidding yourself because all those other games really are pretty meaningless at this point. They're, they're nothing like the competition that you're going to face in the big 12. The one game that you've played that is similar to big 12 competition is Xavier and you lost that game and the only other game that would have been remotely difficult is the road game you played at howard and that went to overtime so there is legitimate concern about this uc team when they face legitimate competition but i also would agree with any uc fan who says let's wait before we get too worried about it because that's just one loss and there's still a lot of season to be played here
1: okay and i agree with that rick but but here's the thing. If you lose to Dayton literally on your non conf if you're, if you think this is an NCAA tournament team, and I have not thought that um, at any point, even when they got off to the hot start, if you think they're an NCAA tournament team, you will literally have nothing on your non-conference resume to show the committee. Now you can flip the argument and go, well, you got a lot of chances in the big 12. Yes, you do but the competition level ratchets up in the big 12 where um, it's hard to find a lot of road wins on, on that resume. And you're going to have a handful of home losses just because of how talented it is. It's, you may win seven or eight games in the Big 12. Is that going to be enough on the resume when you can look around at other teams going, yeah, but we got these three wins non-conference. You got none. And so I think this Dayton game becomes really important. It's not going to be a quad one win, but it's going to be at least something on the resume quad two-ish, perhaps.
0: This Dayton game is massive, Skinny. Massive now because of the way that they set up their schedule. It shouldn't be that big of a game for them, but it almost decides everything, in my opinion, and maybe it's not even enough if they win it because, like you said, they've given themselves no non-conference resume at this point going into Big 12 play, and I always thought the argument for UC being a tournament team this year was they dominate not non-conference play, and then they win nine games in the Big 12. They go about you know 500 in the Big 12, and then you've got yourself a chance. The problem is they scheduled nobody. They lost the Xavier game now. And so now you're sitting at a resume with absolutely nothing. And if you go 500 in the big 12 with that resume, that's not enough to get into the tournament. I don't think even with all the wins that you're going to have piled up. So um, I'm with you. They, they now would have to, they definitely have to be Dayton. And even then, I think you're a little bit more worried about them having to be better than you would expect a first year team in the big 12 to be.
1: Yeah. And again, look at, look at the teams in the big 12. I was looking at the schedule the other day. I'm like, man, that's a tough game. You know, BYU suddenly has had a, a good non-conference. That's who they open up with on the road. And um, you, then you start looking down and go, well, that's a hard game. And that's an impossible game. And that's a hard game. Uh, you come to a f- couple of the former AAC teams like UCF and you go, okay, well, at least we got them. But, you know, even them probably on the road isn't going to be an easy game because it's on the road. And so you start looking at those down the road. It's It really is it's hard to look and see how they pile up wins inside that league.
0: Did this game offer more hope to Xavier fans in your opinion?
1: I don't, I don't think so. I mean, cause I, are you going to get that from Quincy Oliveri every night inside the, the big East or on most, I shouldn't say every night. That's not fair to any player on, on most nights inside the big East. You can get that from Davion McKnight on most nights inside the big East. I I just don't think you are. I do. I do think they can finish, you know, fifth or sixth inside the league. That's not going to be enough to be an NCAA tournament team. Um, And, you know, you've lost a couple of bad ones at home with the Delaware loss and the Oakland loss. So yeah again I could you could you maybe find something you know could this team get hot in big east play and maybe make a crazy run that we see teams make every year in that maybe they're the team to do it just because you got guys who can get hot but to ask these guys to do this every single night I just think it's a big ask and they don't guard anybody very well
0: Yeah I think the the big thing for me was and the the reason to be hopeful if you're a Xavier fan is the path for this team to be successful is Quincy Oliveri and Desmond Claude being your top two scorers and being really consistently good on the offensive end because then you put teams in the situation that UC found themselves in we've got one John Newman one defensive stopper on the wheel. Yep. we have to now choose who we're going to guard they said let's guard Desmond Claude most of the game with him, and Quincy Oliveri torched CJ Frederick right so uh, at the end of the game they tried to switch it and put put uh, Newman over onto Oliveri it was a little bit too late i think at that point and then claude was also more successful so um you're right about them not getting 27 and six three-pointers from quincy Oliveri every night and davion mcknight certainly is going to score 20 every night i think that was strictly because of the way that uc defends and the fact that they right. they don't offer any help defense in the gaps they just guard you one-on-one and let you drive them and, and score in the mid-range and that's what davion mcknight does um but those two wings Oliveri and Claude I think they are talented enough and good enough to carry this offense and be your go-to guys to where they can put the de- uh, defensive t- teams on the defensive end in a tough matchup situation where they don't have a great answer to guard both of them and that's kind of where you really need to to beat most teams if you're Xavier I think now is that Good enough to get you more than 10 wins in the Big East? Probably not. But I do think they can be competitive with those two guys if they continue to play at a high level. And, and some of these younger guys will hopefully step up along the way to give them a little more support. But I would tend to agree with you that that game didn't tell me as much about Xavier as it did UC, I think. Yeah, no, exactly. All right, let's uh move on to Kentucky skinny. They have a massive game coming up on Saturday against number 9 North Carolina. Number 14 Kentucky against number 9 North Carolina. This game is in Atlanta. It's uh, at 5:30 p.m. UK of course lost to Kansas 89-84 on a neutral floor. They blew out Miami 95-73 at Rupp Arena the last week of November. Those are kind of the the two big games that they've played this year. They have the glaring loss at home to UNC Wilmington a few weeks ago 80 to 73. North Carolina's lost to Villanova in overtime on a neutral floor. They lost to UConn last Tuesday, 87 76. And now they have an 11 day layoff leading up to this game. What are you expecting from this Kentucky team at this point?
1: It's a good question. Um, you know, seeing Aaron Bradshaw scratch the surface against Penn was big with the double double. Um, and some of that is, again, Penn not exactly have the, the most dynamic uh, front court. They had Mr. Mustache playing center, who, um, you know, he, he was kind of all the size that they really had. So, but it was a good game to see Aaron Bradshaw kind of get into the mix of things, you know, getting DJ winner back from injury, I thought was big for them too, because now it does give them more depth, but I still, I, I'm staying on the train of, they're going to score against just about anybody. Can they get stops against quality teams or even again, those teams like a Wilmington that, you know, if you let them hang around games, cause you don't get enough stops, though it's going to happen. In the SEC, they're going to beat a couple of teams that, maybe on their home floor should be better, but they're going to be able to score, and they're going to probably lose a game where they get outscored 84-80 by somebody that you're like, how did they score 84? They, I just don't know if they can get enough stops. Now, maybe Bradshaw changes that. I know there's some rumors of about uh, Wensow uh, coming back soon to add another 7-foot rim protector off the bench, and maybe those guys are the difference defensively. Maybe they do change the, the dynamic of it, but I, you know, I've only seen a, a game or so from Bradshaw to this point to see it. I need to see it against a quality opponent like Carolina to, to believe it. I mean, it feels like this game's two teams that are pretty similar. They they can score, they just have a hard time getting stops.
0: Yeah, and with Bradshaw, I mean, he did block three shots in this last game. He has four blocks now in the two games that yep. he has played. I think he makes a difference on the defensive end, certainly, and on Yenso definitely will. That's kind of his calling card is his mobility and, and length and athleticism. Are you worried, because we heard it from Cal after this game, He's got to start finding a way to play the two bigs together, Bradshaw and Mitchell. He said, we got to get them in there and figure out how to use them together. Are you worried about this bogging down the offense now? Because it's been so good to start the season here, and it's been a lot of people believe that's because they've spread things out, played a lot more perimeter oriented, shot more threes. Uh, Is that a concern now with him talking about playing two bigs together?
1: I don't because I think Bradshaw can play on the perimeter just fine. It feels like he posted. And again, I I watched it when I was doing some work at the time. So I had the game on in the background on Saturday. So I didn't watch it completely intently like a coach. Um, But it felt like he posted Mitchell more than he posted Bradshaw. Um, And and again, maybe that is, maybe he is more of the post guy. I, I, you know, I don't know, but I, yeah, Bradshaw, I think he has enough perimeter skills that he can fit in just fine. I thought he fit in really well in this game, at least.
0: Yeah, he's one for two from beyond the arc, so he, he can shoot the three a little bit. Already showed that off. Was really efficient on the offensive end. Didn't have to take a lot of tough shots, given the the resistance he was meeting around the basket, obviously. But it was a great showing for Aaron Bradshaw's first game. He certainly looks like a difference maker, but I am interested to see how it all fits together and what changes are made on the offensive end. Um, Skinny, any, any predictions? Because we're not going to do this in our betting segment. Any predictions on how this game goes against North Carolina? Do you think... Kentucky gets another big win here.
1: I do. I think it'll be kind of like the Kansas game where um, it, it maybe even kind of like the Penn game a little bit. I mean, Kentucky scores in bunches and then you saw Penn all of a sudden make a big run and, and uh, make a bunch of shots. And I think you're going to see that. I think you're going to see a bunch of runs both ways, but yeah, I, I think Kentucky with all hands on deck. And again, it might be on Yenso may play may not, but I, I consider they're as close to all hands on deck as possible, especially with what they've got, you know, talent wise getting Wagner back healthy and, and now Bradshaw. Um, they have a lot of talent, and I think talent will will be the the deciding factor here by a handful of points.
0: All right, Skinny, let me wrap up the college basketball segment with some NKU Norse talk. Did you see the ending of their game on Saturday night when they lost at home to Akron, 77-76?
1: I did not. I read about it, however.
0: I mean to tell you, one of the most incredible endings to a game you'll ever see, this kid Enrique Freeman for Akron just made an unbelievably athletic play to run full. And this is a forward, a six seven forward, by the way, to run the length of the floor going full speed, catch a pass below his knees without breaking stride near the top of the key, take one dribble, and then just jump from the middle of the lane and dunk over the top of two NKU defenders. Uh, just a great college basketball game. NKU was trailing nearly the whole game, nearly pulled it out at the end, then lost on that play. Um, but, you know, right now they're, they're sitting at 5-5, five and five. They've played a very difficult schedule. They wrap up their non-conference schedule like this, Skinny. They have the University of the Cumberlands, which is an NIA school tonight at home, which will be a nothing game. But then they go to Eastern Kentucky and to St. Mary's to wrap up their non-conference slate. Uh, It's not going to be easy. We could very well be looking at NKU with a losing record heading into Horizon League play, and yet they will be one of the favorites to win the Horizon League. I mean, legitimately, they look like one of the top two or three teams in the league, I think, right now.
1: Yeah, and since you do games, I'll, I'll flip. The, I always flip the script on you because you're the one that should be answering the questions about NKU. But um, yeah, you know, they. To your point, you know, they're going to be compliments that get some six and five if they lose to NK EKU, and that's a 50-50 game to me, to be honest with you. But they, yeah. they probably do because, and then go to St. Mary's. They're going to lose that game. And likely to be six and seven, um, but two and zero oh inside the Horizon League is the important number because that's it's a one big league. That's all that matters. Get yourself the best seed possible and go from there. I guess my question for you is they they've they've played pretty well in the non-conference. The results have sucked a little bit. I mean, Illinois State, they had a it was a miracle shot to to try to tie it and force the overtime by Jeremiah Israel. And then obviously this game they lose on the late dunk, you know, played Washington pretty tough. I mean, they've they've played some good games um, so far that that, this this non-conference is that encouraging to you the way they've played in these games, especially knowing the differential in talent, even between a Mac team and a mid-tier to lower-tier Horizon League team.
0: It it really is, because Akron is a top 100 team in the country right now, according to Ken Palm. They're 99th, and they are picked to win the MAC this year. Going into that game, watching them on tape, I was wondering how the heck NKU was going to match up with them, quite honestly. They have almost everything that gives NKU trouble. A great rebounder inside, which NKU is not a very good defensive rebounding team right now. They had shooters on the perimeter, and they had a 6'8", long athletic perimeter defender who was just ruled eligible a transfer from Butler Ali Ali who was matched up against Marquez Warwick and we've seen in the past the one thing that can slow down Marquez Warwick occasionally is long athletic defenders from the the high major ranks and uh, he had one of his best games ever he had 30 points was really efficient in this game was really fun to watch so uh, I thought you know, that, that's a great sign that Marquez is playing so well. They got to get Sam Vincent going a little bit on the offensive end. He's doing everything else well, but not making shots or scoring as well as he typically does. And then this was a breakout game for Trey Robinson. He had 20 points, only missed two shots in the game, knocked down a couple of big threes late, had a great steal late in the game when they were pressing to put him up by by one right before that, that game winner by Akron. So I, I do think that these last two games against Illinois State and Akron, even though they were both losses, really encouraging performances the two games that were concerning was the game at middle tennessee state and the game at cincinnati those two games those losses they kind of got blown out and weren't in it but the washington loss the illinois state loss and the akron loss to me those are three games against teams that are essentially preparing you for a horizon league championship all three of those teams are as good or better than anything you're going to see in the horizon league this year
1: Yeah. And and granted, they played two of the bottom tier teams in the league, but they they do have the two wins that kind of sandwich around some of these non-conference wins. So it's shown, hey, this has probably got them tested and ready for a rising league play.
0: Yeah, and I think that is the goal with Darren Horn's uh, scheduling philosophy. We've seen that every year since they've got here. We we sit here during the non-conference slate before the turn of the new year. and We go, oh, NKU struggling a little bit. Look at the record. And then they get into mid-January and early February, and the lights come on, and the defense starts to ramp up. And all of a sudden, they're one of the best teams in the Horizon League, and they make a run in, in the postseason. So I think we're very much moving towards that again. I, I would also tell you, I think they're a little bit ahead of schedule this year because of all the pieces that they brought back from last year's team. I think that everything's clicking a little bit sooner, so I, I'm hoping they're going to be playing at a higher level initially to start Horizon League play this year.
1: Can I ask you a quick right. question? And this is, yeah. this is for those NKU fans or Horizon League fans. Should, should IUPUI be relegated out of that league?
0: Oh, it would be great if they could. And next year, they're not even going to be IUPUI. I think they're just going to be IUY, Indianapolis University, oh, Indiana. Yeah, I think so.
1: Good for them. Yeah, it'll change everything.
0: Yeah, it'll that'll that'll re- the rebrand will really help. I think so. We'll, we'll look forward yeah. to them next year. All right, skinny. Let's get into our betting segment, which is really not much of a betting segment anymore. But we picked the Bengals game for you. So what the heck? You uh you went two and zero last week. You are fifty one forty three and two. I went one and one. I am forty five forty nine and two. And this week we have the Vikings at the Bengals. I, at my, I think thing. I hit my teaser. I think.
1: I think I hit my 14 teaser too, I believe.
0: Did you hit it again? I'll be honest with you. I
1: didn't even check. I really didn't have time. I hit it in real life, so I'm assuming I hit it. (laughs) Well, it seems like it worked then.
0: All right, so another uh, teaser for Skinny. That's like five on the year. Sunday at 1 p.m., we've got Vikings at Bengals. Bengals are a three-point favorite, and the total is 40 and a half.
1: Yeah, I've seen this float up to three and a half in some places. The hook scares me a little bit. Um, This is a really good Minnesota defense, but you know, again, it, and Nick Mullins is a journeyman for a reason. He came, you know, he, he came in last week and got him to their field goal. Good for them. Uh, the three nothing went over the Raiders. Uh, I think the Bengals defense has taken some step forward against the run. I, I need to see one more performance to completely believe it. Jacksonville's not a great rushing team, and they they didn't do anything against the Bengals, and they shouldn't have. Uh, the Colts are a good running team, and the Bengals did a great job of stymieing that, and so if you make them semi one dimensional and, and, and stop the run, which I think, I think they're taking those steps forward to doing uh, and make Nick Mullins beach. I just don't see that taking place. Uh, this is not going to be Jake Browning going cuckoo. Cause it's just going to be hard against that defense. But I'll go Bengals 20 to 13. I think the defense does get them. Defense, this is one that the defense needs to get them a win, to be honest with you.
0: All right. So 2013 Bengals and the under then is the pick for skinny here. Um, I've been burnt twice now on the Jake Browning express. He's rolled right over the top of me picking against him. I'm not going to make that mistake again. And when I try to handicap this game, I get into a situation where you are, where I'm thinking lower scoring defense going to need to win. And quite honestly, skinny, My handicapping and my prediction skills have gotten me absolutely nowhere over the last few months of betting. So I am going to go completely against my own instincts here. I'm going to say, what has Jake Browning done the last two weeks? He's put up 34 points with this Bengals offense. So you know what I'm picking this week? Bengals 34, Vikings 24, Bengals and the over for me. Against my better.
1: If the Bengals score score 34 points in this game, in my opinion, it'll be Charlie Jones returning a punt and the defense scoring a touchdown. Because I just think the offense is – It can have success. I just don't think it's going to have a ton of success just because of the Minnesota defense.
0: You just ruined my best bet of the week. I was going to say my best bets of the week are two props. I want Charlie Jones to score an anytime touchdown, and the Bengals' defense or special teams to score an anytime
1: touchdown. There we go. Parlay it. There you. There you go. I got my 14 teaser of the week again for you, Rick. All right. I'm going to take a. This this will be a six and a half pointer. um, Just because I got to change one of the lines. Miami, uh, take them down from eight and a half to two at home against the Jets. A good bounce back spot for them after the loss to Tennessee. New Orleans at home down to a pick 'em against the Giants. The Tommy DeVito story is a cute one, but I don't think Tommy DeVito is going on the road in, against that New Orleans defense and winning. Um, I'm going to take um, the Rams down to a pick 'em at home against Washington. And I'm going to take Green Bay up to three point underdog, getting three points at home against Tampa Bay. There we go.
0: All right, so just to recap that six-and-a-half-point teaser, we've got Miami minus two-and-a-half, Saints pick em, Rams pick em, Green Bay Packers plus three. All right. So those are our best bets for the week. And we've got some ask any anything questions to get to. Uh, Shout out to you guys, because I mentioned that we hadn't been getting as many questions. We had an abbreviated segment on the last few shows, and I didn't even have to ask for them this week. You guys sent them in without me even sending out a prompt. So I appreciate that. We'll start with the, uh, the question going around the NBA ranks right now. What should the NBA do with Draymond Green after his latest outburst where he essentially punched another player on the court?
1: I think he's suspended for the rest of the season, in my opinion. I I, I will say this. Golden State is a flaming hot mess. We don't talk a lot of NBA on here. I don't follow it super intently. I am in an NBA fantasy league. They are a super hot mess. I don't think it's because of Draymond. I mean, that team's just kind of gotten old, and um, it is what it is. Clay Thompson doesn't play to the level he used to play. Steph still does. Um, But at at this point, if you're them, uh, the the Draymond Green stuff is just ongoing. Enough's enough. I know he adds toughness and all those things and does all the little things, but now it's gotten to the point of absurdity. And if I'm the NBA, I take the action and go, you're done for the year, dude. Enough's enough. Until you feel like you clean up your act, we're done with you. And if you think you want to come back next year and first time you do something stupid, you're gone again. We've had enough of this.
0: Not only should he be suspended for the rest of the season, but I would also and, – and I'm not big on this typically, but he should be checked into some type of anger management or therapy no and – prove that he's committed to that and and change it because he's a smart guy skinny we've heard him do tons of media things he does his own podcast he's intelligent he he knows what he's doing this isn't a guy who's like flying off the handle and has emotional issues i mean he does have emotional issues clearly but he's not a guy who's like unstable and and doing you know i mean he he knows that this is wrong and yet he can't keep himself from doing it and losing his mind whether it be in practice punching jordan pool his own teammate a year or two ago, or outbursts like this in game action where he's stomping on people's chest or punching them in the side of the head. And and it's blatant and obvious. Uh, he, he needs to go to therapy. He needs to get his mind right because this is this is out of control. I'm, I'm with you. Suspend so him for the rest of the year at least. And if you want to go longer than that, I, I really don't have much of a problem with it because at this point, these aren't basketball plays. These aren't one slip up. It's nonstop. He just thinks he can do whatever he wants, and neither his team nor the league is going to do anything about it. All right, our next question is: Can Skinny rank the following eighties TV shows? And we have a big list of them here. The A Team.
1: Yeah, go ahead and read them off. For full disclosure, real quickly, this is the I never asked asked to see these questions ahead of time because this was a ranking. For full disclosure, Rick sent me this question, but go ahead and read them off. And it was actually it took me literally a minute to rank these.
0: Yeah, so you said you had seen all of them, and it was a long list. So I was like, you've got to at least have a look at these before you try to rank them. Uh, we've got The A-Team, Airwolf, Dukes of Hazard, Fall Guy, Hill Street Blues, Hunter, Magnum P.I., Miami Vice, Murder, She Wrote, and Simon and Simon.
1: I'll go from the bottom to the top. How about that? Let's do it. On the bottom of my list is Murder She Wrote. It just always was boring to me. I, I don't. It just. I, I. 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 saw it some. It's on reruns now on a couple of these channels that I'm always watching shows on. That's the, that's clearly at the bottom. Airwolf. I thought it was a stupid premise. I never liked that show. So that comes in at number nine. This is surprising. I could never really get into the A Team. I watched it some, but it just the premise of these these mercenaries that are that are it just never hooked for me. Um that's so a cartoon, that right? Eight. Was the
0: A team a cartoon or no?
1: Oh, no, that was with Mr. T. Mr. Okay. Mr. T. I, I know, Bacall. but I thought it was like
0: a I thought it was like a cartoon of Mr. T. So it was like real live action then.
1: Oh, real live action for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Uh number seven, Dukes of Hazard, just just some good old boys doing what they are, being what they are, whatever. I just never got into that show much either. It just it was it was not good for me. Simon and Simon, number six. I watched that enough. I liked it. Hunter with Fred Dreyer, former football, former NFL football player comes in at number five, the fall guy, Heather Thomas alone gets with the fall guy in. I mean, she was just a smoke show in the day. Uh, so that's number four. And then there's a line of demarcation. My top three were literally shows that I intently watched. Like, excuse me, like every week that was on my radar to watch number three, Magnum PI. It was just, I love settings in Hawaii and Tom Selleck was, was really good in that role. Uh, and it was just a good show. Two, Hill Street Blues was a part of my Thursday night college watching rotation. I'd watch Hill Street Blues, and then I'd watch a college basketball game on my little 13-inch black-and-white TV. What a time that was, Rick. And number one, I wish I could find it in reruns, and I really can't love Miami Vice. Who didn't in those days love Miami Vice that grew up in that era? It was clearly the best. So, yeah, I, I didn't have a hard time ranking these whatsoever. I love
0: that you had the multi-screen viewing experience going before the day of streaming and iPads and everybody having two or three screens in the room. Nice.
1: Yeah, 13-inch black and white, baby. Got the job done.
0: Hell yeah. All right. um, Next week, I I assume, will be a completely Christmas-oriented Ask Any Anything. Well, well, actually, let me just throw that out there now. Send in your Christmas questions for next week. We'll do a Christmas version of the show. Uh, But with Christmas approaching... What was the worst or most disappointing gift Skinny ever received for Christmas as a kid?
1: Wow. Oh, so th- there is a clear one for me, and I hate to do it. My late aunt, um, um, she always tried to get eclectic gifts. And this was either it's either when I was in high school or co- early college. I, was, I guess I was a drinking age in theory. At the time, the drinking age in Ohio was 18, where you could go buy 3-2 beer. And uh, trust me, we still were able to buy beer over – Here in Northern Kentucky, in our juvenile delinquent days of ages sixteen and seventeen, but she got me beer flavored toothpaste for Christmas one year, and let me just tell you how disgusting that was.
0: Just nasty beer flavored toothpaste is. is disgusting.
1: Yes, and, and I I did try it once, and it was, you know, as much as in, in, in that age range, you're like, oh, it's cool, it's beer, it's anything. No, 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 awful, just awful.
0: Yeah, I mean, what were they out of tequila-flavored fa- toothpaste? That's about the only thing oh. I can think that would be worse. Yeah, uh, that, that would be worse. All right, Skinny, this was uh, from a TikTok I was at, and, and they said they wanted your opinion of it. I'm not going to play the video because it's, it's just guys talking, but the question of it was, would you rather have, 100k wired to your bank account right now no questions asked you just say yes or flip a coin to win 10 million dollars
1: i go flip a coin to win
0: 10 million dollars yeah to me that's an easy one a lot of people seem to answer the 100k to me that 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 discrepancy is way too big like 100k isn't life-changing yeah. money 10 million is right. your life is different forever So I mean, what's what's the number that that changes? That is it like one million? Would you do it for one
1: million? Would you flip the coin? Yeah, I'd say I'd say one million versus that would probably change it. If you could guarantee me one million, I'm I'm kind of set for my retirement at that point in the game by far. What about what about the other?
0: What about the other K? If the if the one hundred K is stuck, and we we change the other number, Uh, how low does that number have to come before you start thinking you'd take the hundred K guarantee?
1: What is it right now? Ten million. 10 million
0: coin? right now yeah versus 100k guarantee
1: I'd say a minimum of two million then you'd
0: start thinking about taking the 100k correct I see I think I w- I think even for a million I'm flipping the coin I mean don't get me wrong I'm not trying to really? act like I'm too good for a hundred thousand dollars but a hundred thousand dollars just doesn't really change much for me it's like one good year you know it made it made one year better no right but if but if you get a million it's right. like well I'm, I might sort of change what i'm doing for right now like i can i can get by a couple years now and maybe change up my job or try to do something different or move into a different house or something it's like 100k isn't really changing anything that i do
1: i wonder if that was set to a poll question what the end result of that would be you think i don't
0: know i was surprised at how many people thought it was a a legit question when it was 100k versus 10 million dollars to me, that's not even clear. It's like obviously a 50 50 chance at $10 million is a no
1: brainer. You say yes every time. I'm, t- I'm taking that yeah. I'm taking that in a heartbeat. Yeah. So you're right. 100 grand is not, is it going to help me? You know, maybe I go buy a new car. Maybe, you know, I've got a little socked away extra for it, but it's not changing my life by any stretch of the imagination. It's really not.
0: Yeah. It's a good year. It's like, all right, maybe we get the car and go yeah. on the vacation this year, but it's like, it just became like I got a huge bonus. It's not like, oh, wow, I, I can actually really think about what's going to change now do we do we buy a new house and move into a new neighborhood or whatever i mean that's just yeah it's totally totally different scenarios there uh skinny has mentioned going to speedway in covington a lot are there any other places you guys go to regularly as part of your daily or weekly routines
1: uh there's a shell in park hills um if i go do like a morning tv hit um at channel 12 coming home i'll stop there they got great coffee and it's convenient that that seems to be a place i'll also stop there for full disclosure on my way back from basketball practice at ludlow and uh, get a couple of road pops at that same shell so there's a shell there in part it's right by rick it's right there at the corner of of kyle's lane and dixie dixie highway you've, yeah. you've driven by, by it, I'm sure, many times catty corner too it was the first yeah by the skyline correct yeah the, there's a there's the shell the bp the skyline as you're going towards covenant catholic
0: and you know what else is there is fort wright family restaurant which is just the best.
1: It's so funny. So I haven't eaten there in a long time. And, and that that wasn't like a part of a breakfast routine for me, but I would go there some when my daughters uh, had dance at Moss Dance Academy, which uh, they've kind of moved, but they used to be in that same little strip mall there where yep. that is. Yeah, it is. It is a, it's a good call. It's very, very good.
0: Yeah, my guys, Jim Kelch and, and Rick Myers, and I went over there last week before an NKU practice and and ate lunch, and it was nice. Day and, day. and the prices, I mean, you just can't beat it. Everything's under $10 yes. there. It's unbelievable. Uh, yep. All right. Oh, I would say UDF is, is my go-to. I, I think I've mentioned that before. But the UDF down there at um, Mock Road and the AA where they meet, that is, I'm there yep. once, if not twice a day. So.
1: Yeah, my other spot now, again, because I'm down in Ludlow so much coaching basketball there, is the, is the Elm Food Mart. And I, I stopped oh, there yeah. for occasional road pop or two, or maybe mm-hmm. even just a Gatorade before practice.
0: Yeah. When I was coaching baseball at Ludlow, I was known to stop in there a time or two as well. I think it was, was it called something different at the time though? Might've changed. I
1: can't remember. Maybe. Yeah, maybe.
0: Um, All right. This question uh, was posed to me during an icebreaker at work. This is not coming from me, by the way, this is what the the person wrote. This is, this question was posed to this person during an icebreaker at work. In a competition where you have to eat a hot dog and then run a hundred yards, who wins between Joey Chestnut and Usain Bolt? I say Bolt, but a couple coworkers of still- mine think I'm crazy.
1: So does does the? I guess here's my question: Does the time to consume the hot dog is that part of the contest? Or you eat the hot oh, dog yeah. and then they line up and uh, run? Which part? Uh, no, it,
0: ha- it has to be part of the contest because otherwise, Usain Bolt obviously wins if you just eat a hot dog and then you start a race. Uh, the, the eating eating the hot dog has to be part of the timing. Otherwise, Joey Chestnut has no chance.
1: Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. I didn't. I thought that's a tough one to be honest with you.
0: I don't think it I, is for one hot I can dog. See
1: you seeing, yeah, I was gonna say I could see Usain Bolt chomping that thing in a couple of chomps, and then Joey gets a little bit of a head start, and it's like, what's that character they got down in Atlanta that does the Mister Speed or the Flash or whatever? Yeah, free, where he the races freeze against people or, or whatever. whatever.
0: Yeah, the Flash. The freeze. Yeah the, flash. yeah, the
1: freeze. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I think it's the freeze. Okay, um, whatever. I mean, how many times does it look like how many times does it look like he is a, he is in an impossible predicament to win and he still finds a way to go run and past the person and win because he's so damn fast. I think that that's what you would see. You see Joey Chestnut with maybe a maybe a 20-yard head start, and Usain Bolt still wins by 15 yards.
0: See, I don't even think it would be that much of a head start. I don't think maybe this is me being completely ignorant to how the competitive eating game works, but I don't think the advantage for Joey Chestnut is that much in the first hot dog i think the advantage is when you get to like hot dogs three four five six, like where he can just keep punting them down he's soaking them in water right. and like swallowing the bun whole and all that stuff i think for one hot dog you're not going to be that far behind him it's not like a shot you know or a chug where he's like got some incredible skill where he can do it that much faster than you it's that he can keep going right. forever at a good pace uh i think one hot dog it- you still win the question is how many hot dogs does it Do you need to pile up before it becomes in Joey Chestnut's favor? And I think the answer is probably like three or four.
1: Or does that point? Is you saying Bolt not want to eat the third and fourth hot dog?
0: Right, and that's where that's what I'm talking about. Like once you get to a certain number of hot dogs, it's like you've seen Bolt just isn't used to consuming that much sodium and fat, probably. So, although I don't know, some of these crazy in shape dudes eat wild things like uh oh, there's yeah. a there's a kid Absolutely. a kid from australia that's on nku's team and he has like almost no body fat he's a, he's a freshman i just did an interview with him the other day and, and we he said i asked what the biggest difference was between australia and being here in america and he says all the food options that you guys have here and i said well okay well what's your favorite spot and he says raisin canes uh, what's your go-to order at raisin canes and he says well i do my own thing i get 12 chicken tenders 12 chicken tenders for and the kid season. has like no body fat yeah for one meal I'm, wow. i was like i don't even know how that's
1: possible yeah, yeah. I usually get a Keniac combo when I get two down and try to save a third and fourth maybe for lunch the next day.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, there's no chance I could eat more than five or six of those things that, even if I was really pushing it. So uh, insane insane things can happen when people are, are really in shape. The follow-up question this person says is, who wins the same competition between you and Skinny?
1: Um. I'm gonna. I, I'm always gonna bet on myself, Rick. I'm gonna bet on myself on this one.
0: If there was a beer involved, you win without a doubt. Um, but there is not, and so right now, I, I'm sorry. I just don't think. I mean, I think we eat a hot dog pretty pretty similarly, and no one's gonna accuse me be, of being fast. But I am about half your age, so I would hope I could maybe beat you in a hundred yard dash. You would hope. <laughs> you would hope. <laughs> We're gonna leave it at that, huh? Yes. Okay. All right. That's all I got, Skinny.
1: All right. Good stuff. Appreciate it, as always. We'll be back uh, next week. Rick's actually going to be on the West Coast covering uh, NKU and St. Mary's, but we will still have a podcast anyway. Um, Normal normal time drop for that next week as well. So, appreciate you guys with the questions. Appreciate you being with us. Uh, For Rick Noring, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly co-preed edition, presented as always by Mike, the Attorney Mays.